Welcome to Leaders of Color. I'm your host, Sarisha Iyer, the founder and executive director of Leading in Color. On today's episode, we are joined by Arzu Najibzadeh. Arzu is a rising voice for women's civic and political participation in Canada. As the co-founder and executive director of Young Women's Leadership Network, she works with young women leaders and civic institutions to identify and address barriers to young women's engagement and success within grassroots and institutional politics. Since 2015, she has built civic leadership capacity among more than a thousand young marginalized women. As a consultant and personal coach, she regularly works with millennial candidates in municipal and provincial politics to center mental wellness and authenticity on the campaign trail, on top of providing strategic communications and fundraising advice. She regularly appears before civic institutions to speak on issues impacting young women and girls' leadership, most recently the House Standing Committee on the Status of Women, the World Forum for Democracy at the Council of Europe, and the Platform Women Convention in Washington, D.C., Welcome to the podcast, Arzu. Yes, I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you, especially since YWLN just turned two this year, and we've had such an amazing time trying to figure out where the gaps are in terms of leadership development for young racialized women and coming up with programming that re- really reflects the unique needs uh, that we face in civic spaces and in organizing. So tell me a little bit about Young Women's Leadership Network. What motivated you to get it started? How did it all get Young Women's Leadership Network was um, created as a result of years of disappointment and failure on behalf of our civic institutions and organizing spaces and recognizing the the needs and the experiences of Black, Indigenous, and racialized women uh, when accessing um, leadership and when engaging with our communities as leaders and as activists. So um, we decided to come together and create an organization that is dedicated to building civic and political leadership capacity among marginalized and racialized young women through an anti-oppressive, trans-inclusive feminist approach that really identifies the issues and bridges the gaps in leadership development opportunities for folks that look like us, historically been marginalized uh, within leadership spaces. I think as someone who started, I think, in civic engagement around when I was 14 or 15, you know, I continued to see that from calling to legis- for legislative change and community mobilization to developing support mechanisms for marginalized communities, young marginalized women are moving our society and our political discourse forward every day. But at the same time, our leadership has often been inadequately recognized or supported and doesn't always translate into the number of women getting elected or the number of folks getting recognized and appreciated in our civic institutions for their contributions to whether it be our democratic systems or even um, social progression. And I think that was really the motivation because we knew that marginalized women, especially Black and Indigenous women, have been leading communities and communities and political conversations for years now. Uh, but that is not necessarily reflected in the support systems and the recognition that we generally see, whether it be through the media or our mainstream uh, political conversations. And what we really wanted to do with Young Women's Leadership Network is to create a space for those conversations to start happening and for us to be able to lend resources or capital or whatever it is that we can really provide our communities with to folks who are doing this work and to make sure that we're investing in leadership development and marginalized women who are otherwise being overlooked. So you've been in this space for quite a while for somebody at your age. What are some of the challenges that you faced in doing this work? I think what's really 
been difficult is grappling with the fact that time and time again we see organizations led by white women or more privileged women getting funded to do the work that racialized women have already been doing for years, right? Uh, I think that's been the biggest challenge organizationally for us, knowing that we're not only providing support systems and capacity building opportunities for racialized women, but that again, as you said, we are also doing the extra work of making sure that whatever we provide them meets their needs and the unique barriers that they face within these communities. And uh, that's been really difficult, right? Because again, we started as a group of Black, Indigenous, and racialized young women and non-binary folks, and we are creating work that is by us and for us. But again, we see organizations who are uh, getting recognized or being funded for um, hiring an Indigenous person or a trans person to create an inclusion strategy for them, right? Whereas those things are not really things that we do in addition to our daily work. Those are things that are inherently integrated within the work we do because that's where we come from and that's where our communities are rooted. I think aside from that, the emotional labor piece has been something that we talk about a lot because me as one of the co-founders, I've been at the forefront of some of these conversations around sexual assault or gender-based violence and racism within our civic institutions. And by default, that has kind of made me people's go-to person when things come up, right? As important as it is for us to be able to provide that emotional support to make sure that uh, folks are receiving the support they need and that they have someone to talk to, it's also important to recognize that that can't be work that is unpaid and underpaid and undervalued within our civic institution, just because it doesn't translate into quantifiable measures when talking about the impact of our work. So I think the emotional labor piece uh, has been an ongoing conversation that um, has been coming up internally and externally with the folks that we work with. But again, it's something that we need to recognize that happens and that we need to provide solutions to right so something that we've been trying to do is host monthly chai chats that are basically community care drop-in sessions that happen every month and focus on talking about the issues that whether it be Muslim women or Black women are facing in the workplace and the mental health challenges that that's bringing up and trying to um, provide peer support for uh, dealing with some of those issues so I think that's been really helpful because it creates a space empathize and to share and to try to come up with at least you know temporary solutions until we can um, again change the system so that a lot of those issues don't arise in the first place. As you've mentioned a lot of emotional labor goes into this sort of work that you're doing especially when doing it for your own community and for other marginalized communities and becoming sort of like the point person for people to go to that's a lot of personal labor as well to take on. What are some of the more fulfilling parts of this work and the opportunities that you've created and that you have for yourself and for others through Young Women's Leadership Network? I think the main reason we started the Chai Chats or this conversation on community care was because we recognize that the concept of self-care in itself is a very privileged concept, right? The ability to be able to take time for yourself or to invest in yourself when you know that these folks in your community don't have the bare minimum to survive for another day. I think that's really something that we don't often talk about, especially when we're talking about Black and Indigenous women. I mean, I know a group, the Assembly of Seven Generation, who's one of the co-founders last week at an event was just talking about the fact that their work is literally saving lives of Indigenous youth in Ottawa. 
right? So when, when that is the level of responsibility and the work that you provide, it becomes really hard to focus on the self and what you can do to survive for another day. Um, that's we try to change our conversation to to look at how, what community care looks like. If Black women in our friends group, for example, are the people supporting emotional labor to us 24-7, how are we going to create a space where the community is going to take care of them, the community can listen to what their needs are? And if not necessarily, we can't provide the supports that they need, maybe because we don't have the cultural competence or we don't necessarily understand what they've been going through, at least we can create a space where um we are listening and where they can have some time to kind of sit down and self-reflect and figure out what it is that they need to do right and that looks different for everyone but again the whole concept of these chai chats is to provide a space where folks are safe where folks are not trying to take up space from each other and where um, you know we can have conversations um, authentically and um again based on what the group's needs are i don't know i'm like what would a bubble bath and like a lit candle do for me if I, I don't know if they, right? So I think having like real conversations about the fact that so many Black, Indigenous, and racialized women are occupying precarious employment positions, are multiple mental health and safety challenges that cannot be addressed within our current mental health support systems. So having real conversations as a community about, okay, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how are we going to use our collective power to demand for structural change or in programming and resources that can really benefit us and meet us at where we're at in our journey to healing and again, accessing community. It's so clear that Young Women's Leadership Network really does fill this space for marginalized women when it comes to capacity building and programming and leadership skills and and embarking on journeys into civic engagement. What is it that really differentiates you from other women's organizations that claim to do the same thing when it comes to having more women in politics or getting your voice heard? I feel like our ability to be self-reflective and have uh, or, or try to develop understandings of what different needs are in different communities has been one of the things that has really allowed our work to flourish, right? Because again, for the first year, um, it was, you know, friends and community members that knew either my co-founders or the folks who were involved with our work that kept showing up. But starting in the second year and as we grew and moved to different communities and started having this different conversations, we've really started showing different faces that have been hearing about our work from organizations or people that we don't even know about. So to really understand the impact and the depth of uh, kind of the influence and the supports that we've provided to such diverse array of young women in leadership, whether it be within the tech sector or the civic sector, it's been really inspiring, right? To to notice that we're filling a much needed gap that no other organization, frankly, is going to be able to fill, mainly because, again, they don't have the representation, they don't have the accessible and the inclusive uh, language and programming to really reflect the needs of racialized women um, leading in different sectors and specifically within civic leadership where representation and representation alone is the only conversation that we're having right so I think that's been really wonderful to try uh, to, to to again be able to witness the um, real work that we've been able to do in such a short time 
but then to also redefine what civic engagement or capacity building in these spaces look like, right? Because we're not merely trying to connect young women to civic institutions or try to make them appear more um, appealing to institutions and existing structures, but we're really trying to shift the way people look at civic engagement, right? To understand that, again, investing in your community, trying to improve the life of the lives of your community members, that is really civic engagement, right? Because that's that is what should be at the heart of politics and unfortunately is at the moment right to really try to have those conversations and see where we want to go that is the work that we're invested in doing and I think so far we've been successful for again like a group of like maximum 15 black indigenous and racialized women with I think like under like 40k a year and with like no full-time salaried staff we've been able to do great job of uh you know we've been around as young women's leadership network for the past two years but this work you know i and a group of friends have been doing for four years right and we've been building civic engagement capacity among a thousand young women and gender diverse youth since 2015 and uh, i think that is something that we're really proud of because that is work that so many other well-funded organizations can't do with like millions of dollars of funding and i think when i and i mean any other racialized woman who's been in the sector and in these spaces knows what a huge difference that can make right of having spaces where your identities are not tokenized but embraced and understood um in ways that they are you know otherwise may not be within mainstream spaces it's not a matter of capacity it's a matter of commitment right again because because we if we able to do this work underpaid and with almost no funding for the extent of the work that we've been doing then a multi-million dollar organization should really have no excuse as to why they're not able to meaningfully engage and support racialized women Right. I think when it comes to funding models, we really need to stop celebrating and uh, promoting organizations that are merely using racialized bodies to tick off marks on applications who are not necessarily having the impact that they should be. Right. We, we need to be looking at systemic structures and how we're, we need to change those and where those changes are going to come from instead of, again, like focusing on that whole idea of representation as a, a final uh, place for having achieved inclusion and diversity really look at the work that's being done right and I think we need to definitely do a much more more like much better job at like interrogating organizations who are you know just changing I don't know like spelling women with an x instead of an e and calling that trans inclusion right that we're going to do research on non-binary and two-spirit folks leadership without necessarily having First of all, a paid staff member who is from those communities who's doing that work, or even having participants that identify as such, right? So we need to have like nuanced conversations around this, and again, recognize that those communities who are underrepresented are most almost never going to be able to access those types of funding, because again, we we work in such precarious environments, right? A lot of LGBTQ groups they are grassroots groups or small nonprofit organizations who can't be who can't hire fundraising staff or um, spend a month or two weeks just focused on a grant application again when they have life life to say and so again it's 
thinking about the inaccessibility of our funding models and then the criteria for funding organizations as well. So we actually have a pretty cool announcement today. Young Women's Leadership Network and Leading in Color are joining together to co-host a Chai Chat in Ottawa on January 17th. And this is just one way that you can get involved with your organization as well as ours. All the details for registration are available on our website, leadingincolor.ca. You can also find it on social media at Leading in Color. But beyond that event, what are some other ways that folks can get involved with your organization? We've had an exciting year. Um, 2019 was a very transformative year for us because, again, after two years, we were really allowed to sit down and look at our programming and the impact that we've made and where we want to go. So starting next year, I think our programming is going to be much more streamed and focused on the specific needs of Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth. We're going to be focusing on our Framing Our Future program that's that builds uh, civic engagement capacity through an intersectional lens within um, racialized uh, young women it's going young women and non-binary youth and it's going to have a fellowship component but again our uh, monthly events and our workshops are going to be ongoing and again we're having a much bigger focus on our chai chats as well because in any community or any space that we go, that is something that is lacking, you know, every time. And again, in a lot of professional spaces, whether it be law or tech or even politics, professional development is something that is sometimes ongoing and is more focused on if you know, even if not as regularly or as much as it should be. But again, that mental health um, support and wellness is something that is completely overlooked in a lot of these spaces. So there has been um, a lot of um, good feedback and support for the continuation of our chai chat so we're very excited to be bringing those um, to toronto and uh, even ottawa next year as well and again it's such a transferable model that we're working with different communities across the country to be able to have these conversations on an ongoing basis as well for us something that we we took active action on in terms of unlearning and thinking about or talking about has been the fact that, you know, there are so many amazing black, indigenous and racialized women and non-binary folks who are leading in our communities and who are starting new initiatives. I think competition is something that has been inherently integrated into our leader understandings of leadership. I think that is something that we're trying to get away of trying to see the different ways that all of these folks are contributing to their communities and creating spaces like you for conversations like this and how important it is that we invest in each other and we support that work instead of trying to compete for whether it be funding or recognition and really trying to build movements and redefine structures so that there is space and again investment in all of the work happening so our website is ywln.ca and there's a donate link right there but our uh, social media is all um, at young women lead but the e in the women is uh, spelled with an x wonderful thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to our upcoming event on january 17th with you thank you for having me that's all for today's episode of leaders of color Thank you so much for tuning in once again as we spotlight young leaders of color from across the country and the important work that they're doing in their communities. To catch up on our episodes, head to our website for links on how you can subscribe and listen.